0: Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. I hear him. Great. I need Jeff a little louder,
1: please. Uh, coming down in three, two, and one.
0: There you go. You're perfect.
1: The way I look at it, here at uh, 12 minutes past 11 Eastern on Thursday evening, there's only one thing better than a car cast with one person driving, and that's a car cast with two. People driving. Not only is Elliot Friedman on his way home from Hockey Night in Canada, but so is our man David Amber, who's making the drive back to his palatial estate uh, after a night of broadcasting. We're going to set up why David is with us here in a moment. But first off, David, welcome once again to the podcast. How are you on this fine evening?
2: I'm good, except Elliot's tailgating me and it's really worrying me. Back off, buddy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know. He's, uh, he's a he's amongst the other things that he's very poor at. Driving is, is, is right around top of that list as well.
0: I am aggressive. I will not lie. I am an aggressive driver.
1: He likes the pedal on the right. Okay, Elliot, tell us why David is joining us today. I love this story.
0: So, we're not going to spend too much time talking about what happened with Jeff Petrie. I think that's been done to death. But while this was happening, the other night in Game 2, Montreal-Vegas... Amber says, this has happened to me before in arm wrestling. And I stopped him right there. (laughs) I said, I do not want to hear the rest of this story right now. And I'm telling you, if this game goes to overtime, you're telling this on air in between third period and first overtime. And if it doesn't go into overtime, you're coming on the podcast to explain this story. So, Dave, how did you burst the blood vessels in your eyes, arm wrestling. <laughs> I want to hear this whole story
2: <laughs> right now. All right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Jeff. Uh, Amo, Elliot, uh, nice to be here. And uh, it's funny because we saw Jeff Petrie and I went, oh, my God, what the heck happened? And we were figuring it out and Kyle Bokoskis did his report. And then I said, you know, that's actually happened to me. And I thought back when I was at university, um, back in McGill University, and this is many years ago. It was probably 1991 or 1992 is actually probably when it was. I was with a bunch of buddies, and what we were doing, what guys do, what women do at university, we were drinking some beers, we were hanging out, and next thing you know, there was a big arm wrestling contest between, like, ten guys, right? And one of the guys, a good buddy of mine, his name's Jerry Eiffel, he played on the McGill football team, he was a running back, had a cup of coffee with the Toronto Argos. This guy's a super strong guy, and I said, I'm going to beat you in an arm wrestle, and he kind of looked at me, he kind of laughed. And next thing I know, I said, let's do it. And we we locked arms. It was almost like, remember that movie with Stallone over the top? Of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was like that, right? You know, guys are going toe to toe and just the typical, trying to be the bravado of of university guys, trying to be strong and tough and all the rest. And we got into one of those epic, like, minute and a half, no one's moving an inch either way, back and forth, back and forth, That nothing's happening. I was uh, clenching my face so tight that I didn't realize it at the time, but I popped the blood vessel, I guess, in my left eye. And (laughs) it was pretty funny because we were heading out after this, right? And I'm going to the bar and I got like this bloodshot eye. Like it happened right away. I opened my eye and I couldn't, I could see out of it. It wasn't painful, but it looked like I'd been, you know, stuck something in my eye. I've been punched in the eye or whatever the case had been. And it was an epic battle and we laughed and laughed and laughed and then we went out to uh to gertz which was the mcgill pub at the time and we had a good night needless to say i, I don't think i i was you know didn't things didn't go so well at the bar for me when I was a street brawler but I, it happened to me it didn't happen in both eyes though it just happened in one eye and i remember you know watching p like oh my god that actually has happened to me before so i can see how that could happen
1: now as someone who's never popped a blood vessel in his eyes Does it feel like anything? Do you even know when it's happening? Or do you just look in the mirror and go, whoa, something's up here?
2: I didn't know anything happened. And it ended. And it's funny. We ended up having two arm wrestles. And he beat me right arm. I beat him left arm. So I was 50-50, thankfully. I felt pretty good about that. Uh, It ended, and one of the guys like, "Dude, what happened to your face?" (laughs) it was one of those moments, right? And you know, none of this is caught. This was before the you know social media, before uh, the internet, really. So it wasn't one of those things where people were filming it and putting it on TikTok or anything like that. I went to the bathroom, looked in the mirror, and said, "Oh my god," you know. And he just laughed, right? Because I don't think I think he was exerting himself to about twenty percent, and I was exerting myself to one hundred and twenty percent. That was
1: the difference. Real quick follow-up, even though this is pre-social media, do you have any photograph of this? Somewhere, anywhere?
2: I wish I did the likelihood of that is pretty low. I've never even owned a camera in my life. That's the funny thing, except on my phone now. Um, but, and I have, I do have some pictures from that era back at school, but I don't think I have a specific picture from that night. That was kind of our every Thursday night, Friday night, not the arm wrestling, but you know, you 'd difficult to have some beers, hang out and, and end up going out. So, if I find one, I will definitely get it to you guys, but I, I haven't seen one yet. I just remember my eye was completely bloodshot. It lasted about two days, though, and I'm not sure with Petrie. I think his might be a whole other situation, but yeah, it, it is yeah. pretty scary, and it is pretty ghoulish, and uh, you know, for at least a couple of days, I looked like a tough guy, so there
0: was that. First of all, this story is unbelievable, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to tell this story, uh, Dave. But secondly, I remember Jerry Eiffel. Now, people should understand, and this is not an insignificant person that David picked an arm wrestling contest with. Now, I can't look it up because we're driving, and I got in enough trouble from people complaining that I was pumping gas while on the, doing the car cast last week. So I'm not gonna <laughs> Google while driving. But if I remember correctly. First of all, Jerry Eiffel did play a year in the CFL with the Argos. And if I remember correctly, McGill won the Vanier Cup like in the late 80s. And he had three touchdowns in the championship game. So you, I I have to give you credit, you did not pick a fight with someone who was beneath your physical power. Like you picked on a legit opponent here.
2: No, no, I was swinging way above my weight class there. I mean, this guy, he's built like an absolute rock and great guy, super smart guy, lives out in Asia now. And your memory's fantastic. Yeah, he played at McGill, scored three touchdowns in a Vanier Cup winning season back in 1987. And let's put it this way he beat me one busted blood vessel to none. So, you know, he probably, he had, he had a very good chuckle that, you know, wow, look what I did to this guy. Even though he, he beat me one arm, I beat him one arm, but he had, you know, the last laugh for sure. And he was a great athlete. Actually, he Actually, would have had a nice CFL career, but he broke his leg in a preseason game. That was a team with Timbal Clemens, et cetera. I don't want to go too down, deep down that hole, because this is a hockey podcast, obviously. But he uh, he could have had a, a big career, but he ended up, uh, you know, in finance, and he's done incredibly well out in, in Asia. So, uh, yeah, kind of a blast from the past and a funny story and something we can relate to what happened uh, or the look of Jeff Petrie. I- I've been there before. Okay, so this is my last question.
0: If you were to arm wrestle DXa
2: who would win? Bexa. Let me train for six months and then I might have a shot. He's younger. He's a pro athlete. I'm a civilian. It might be close, but I need I need a few months. Uh, you know, we got to get the gyms back open here and I can start, you know, getting a little bit prepared for that. Next year. let's do it.
0: I am ending this interview with a promise we are doing because next year, it's going to be 32 thoughts. When Seattle comes in, mm-hmm. we are doing next year, the 32 thoughts arm wrestling challenge, Kevin <laughs> Bxa versus David Amber. We're doing this. We're going to find a sponsor. We're doing this. Oh, There's going to be money for charity on the table. And I don't even think it's going to be about who puts each other's arms down first. It's about who pops the other guy's blood vessels in their eyes.
1: Oh, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't care who wins. I just want to see eyes popping. That's it.
2: Can I start with you, Elliot? Like, give me uh, some hope. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sure. Dave needs a couple of squash matches first before he gets to the main event. You know, they used to, every Saturday, <laughs> for how many months did they feed tomato cans to, to Mike what Tyson? What's
0: that guy's name, uh... Unpredictable Johnny Rods and WWE. Yes. Every came out, you knew he yes.
1: was losing the match. Yeah. Just need a couple of jobbers like us. We'll make. Don't worry, right, Dave. We'll make you feel like a champ. We'll make you feel like the oh, Hulk. God. All right. This is great.
0: Before we let you go, yeah. yeah, give us a playoff. First of all, you asked J.J. Watt a great question the other yes. night when you asked him to give a Stanley Cup pick, and he, he basically picked Cole Caulfield to win the Stanley Cup by himself. But give us a, a quick Stanley Cup playoff thought tonight.
2: You know, Tampa, they really are an amazing machine because they can really beat you any which way. And I think you hit it on the head in, in the game hit we did for Sportsnet Central with uh, Danielle and Faisal, where, where you just called it a defensive clinic. You look at the possession that New York had in the final four minutes, and it's very impressive. I mean, the Corsi numbers and all the rest will look nice. But look at how many saves Vasilevsky had to make in the final four minutes. I believe the number is zero. The shot clock was at 28, and it finished at 28. Uh, You know, they just find a way. Kevin pointed out, we all talk about the prowess of, you know, Braden Point and Kucherov, you know, but they have all these guys who can play a great two-way game. We all know Jeff has been singing the praises of Anthony Sorelli for two years now, three years now, and they just have a bunch of guys who know how to grind out wins. And there really is a difference between a team that's been there and done that in one and a team that's still learning to do that. And that's not a knock on the New York Islanders by any means, but it's just, boy, Tampa's an impressive team. And again, they can beat you so many different ways. This next game is is everything for the Islanders. I really do believe that. They're not going to beat Tampa three straight. So this game four coming up is going to be very, very pivotal if they have any shot of of sort of winning this series and upending the defending champs.
1: You can't nap. You can't can't nap a period or a shift against Tampa.
0: You know what, Jeff? I am literally waving goodbye to Dave right now. Our cars are next to each other. I'm waving goodbye. See you, man. Take care, bud.
1: The Arm Wrestling Challenge coming to a podcast near you. Well, namely 32 Thoughts to Pod.
0: Oh, for sure. Next year, 32 Thoughts, BXA versus Amber, Arm Wrestling Challenge. BXA doesn't even know he's being volunteered for this, but too bad. We're doing this. Oh, yeah, we're doing this.
1: Dave's strong, dude. Dave's freaking strong, man. (laughs) All right, with that, let's kick it off. Welcome to the podcast, 31 Thoughts Style, presented by the GMC Sierra Eighteen Four.
0: Sorelli to Kucherov, back for Sorelli, broken up by Green, Kucherov's
2: got it again, to Herman. shoots, blocked, rebound, scores! Brayden Point, as he's knocked down, swipes it in the net, and the Lightning get the lead back. Well, the time had run out, I think he was out of the box, but good on the 10th Bay Lightning to keep the puck alive. I think the Islanders did an excellent job of really tightening the diamond down low, so Kucherov couldn't hit any of the seeds.
1: So welcome once again to 31 Thoughts to Podcast, or as we do it at this time of year, 31 Thoughts to CarCast. Merrick alongside Friedman, who is en route uh, back home. Um, The game you just covered, Tampa and New York, 2-1 is the final. Tampa takes a 2-1 series lead. Vasilevsky versus Varlamov. We saw Gord score, Clutterbuck, and Braden Point. And I gotta say, that Braden Point goal was some kind of clinic in being able to hold on to what you were trying to do. Yeah. That was remarkable skill by Braden Point, falling down and putting that puck exactly where he wanted to put it. But what was your main takeaway from the uh, the Thursday night game?
0: Defensive play, Tampa Bay. There were times the Islanders entered the zone, but whether they blocked a shot or whether they had a stick in the right spot or they pounced on a puck that was fumbled. You know, Tampa... Well, I mean, it did change last year because they, you know, they beat some teams that weren't shrinking violets. Like they, you know, they beat the Bruins, they beat the Islanders, they beat Dallas, and that was a tough team. And I don't think they get enough credit for how mean and nasty and even dirty that they are. And I don't say, like, people think when you say a team is dirty that you're ripping them. I think you have to be somewhat dirty to win in this league. And I think they are. You know, I was talking to one uh, GM and he was talking about Tampa and he's like, everybody thinks they're this like nice genteel group of guys. He's like, they're a bunch of pricks. And you know, I think the other thing too is this league, it needs villains.
1: Oh my God. yes. And
0: this whole thing with the cap, if that means that Tampa becomes a villain and I, and I think there's teams out there, organizations out there that get driven crazy by Vegas Last week, they joked with Nashville, do we get a banner for this? Yeah, And Nashville created a banner, their social media team, this is why no one likes you. And there is a certain amount of dislike and jealousy towards Vegas because they're successful so quickly. And if that makes them a villain, fine. Just like if it makes Tampa a villain, fine. Like You can't have heroes without villains. And if that means that people are getting upset at Tampa because they've done something that almost everybody else in the league has done, Go over the salary cap. Chicago won a cup with this in 2015. If they weren't going to change it then, they're not going to change it now. If that means people are villains, you know what? Your league needs villains.
1: I'll tell you what. I'll go you one further. I hope they do it again next year with someone who needs surgery. I hope their surgeries are timed to coincide with the playoffs next year. Because, listen, this is a loophole they don't want to close. Why not? Why not? We talked about this before on the podcast. Do it. Do it.
0: Tonight, what we saw in Game 3 was a defensive clinic for them. They took a team that's really talented, the Islanders, and scores a lot better than they get credit for, the Islanders. They made life really, really difficult on them.
1: Really difficult. I'm glad you you brought up the point about you know these players are not you know nice genteel hockey players. Like there's some miserable guys on that team. We've talked like, about miserable Kucherov
0: guys. is the most miserable guy on the team. He looks like half the
1: time he's the most miserable guy in the league. Never mind the never mind the team. And you know how miserable like we always talk about oh it's gotta be tough playing against, you know, that third line, you know, Gord gets under your skin, Coleman's tough, Barkley Goodrow is tough. You know how miserable it must be playing every second day against Alex Kalorn? You know how awful that must be? You know how awful it must be playing against Sergachev,
0: Hedman, McDonough, all of them. There's no choir boys on that team, man. They play you hard. And I, I say that with all due respect. You that like in this league, the thing that separates the winners in this league, especially in the playoffs, is yeah. you have to be determined. Like, in the pregame tonight, it was a really nice moment with Rod Brindamore getting the Jack Adams, and it was presented by Brian Sutter. And what was the first thing that Rod Brindamore said? You know, he said that, Brian, 30 years ago, you were my first coach. And you taught me never to waste a game or a shift in this league. And it happens in the regular season. But in the playoffs, you cannot waste a game or the shift. And the Lightning are out-Islandering the Islanders in that
1: game. I'll tell you what. Right off, right out of the gate, uh, and you saw it every single shift, Islanders looked slow early. Did they not? Like, that first period, they, and I thought they'd be coming out, this is the Coliseum, and the fans are going to be going crazy and house on fire, and Tampa's going to have to put up Jets linemen drinking beer. Right? Like, I'm like, oh, man, this this is not looking good for Tampa right out of the gate, and bam, they were skating in mud, and Mm -hmm. Tampa was flying, just flying.
0: I do wonder, they had two good chances later in the game Komarov. He had a couple chances, and it was mm-hmm. almost like Tampa was saying, We're not letting Parcel beat us. We're not letting Eberly beat us. The guys at the point, if it's Pulak or whatever, if someone has to beat us, it'll be Komarov. And I just wonder if Trotz is going to have to do something with that line.
1: Uh, I would think that next game, Leo Komarov is not on that line.
0: No, I, I don't like to say this is all on Komarov because I think that guy gives you an honest effort every night. Yeah. But it's clear you know they might need another finisher up there
1: wallstrom right this way okay a couple of other things you mentioned rod brindemore there a couple of moments ago this was a big day for rod brindemore like in when you look at his career this was an absolutely huge day you mentioned the jack adams coach of the year uh also contract extension announced by don waddell today gm of the carolina hurricanes it is a three-year deal Man, you've been on this for so long. Uh, we've talked about this so many different podcasts. What's the update, Elliot? You must be so thankful you don't have to hear me ask you about it anymore. Someone
0: said to me today, Jeff's going to have to get a new question. Going
1: to have to get one new question. That's right. <laughs> I, I try to find one question and pluck it like a fiddle over and over and over again. I got to find a new one now about this whole scenario. I mean, this is a pretty unique one. Like normally in a situation like this, the first thing a coach will try to do is create a marketplace. When your yeah. contract's about to expire, you sort of, you know, generate interest elsewhere to give yourself some leverage. Rod Brindamore did not do that. I have a hard time believing that some teams weren't waiting on his decision, thinking maybe they would have a shot, but it seemed right from the get go. This was the only place he wanted to be and was not in any way shape or form interested in trying to create a marketplace. What can you tell us about this entire saga because it was a saga? Yeah,
0: I think I think we've said almost everything that needs to be said. You know, he wanted to be there. It was you know, it, what's the old line, you know, and I use it on the air tonight, you you, you find the best-looking person for the prom and you'd shoot your shot right and uh, or the person you want to take the most to the prom and you shoot your shot and I think some of these like you know the Rangers were looking for a date for the prom for a bit and Seattle was looking for a date for the prom for a bit and I always did think Gallant in New York was the most likely scenario but the Rangers just wanted to make sure and you know, Sarah Sivian of the Athletic. You know, she rode several times. I, I, it was obvious she was getting exhausted with some of us, <laughs> in kind of a fun way. You know, she would say, "He's not going yeah. anywhere." It's Carolina or nothing, and, and she was right. Like I, I think she was totally right from the beginning. But you know, it doesn't mean you don't try. And I think people wanted to check, and we've talked about it. The, the deal was done verbally for a while. He took a lot of heat from some of his contemporaries, but you know, at the end of the day you know, you have to do what you think is right for your family. And, you know, that's what he chose to do. And, you know, the other thing I said to someone, I did have one person who called me who thought that what Brenda Moore was really doing was wrong. And they felt I had to do something more to pressure him. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, it's his life. And people have to live their lives for them. You can't, constantly be worried about what other people think what other people tell you to do it's you and your family and he said well what about all these other coaches i said well that's when you have to go and you have to say hey his situation is unique and i've talked to you about this book before the bald truth by david falk the former basketball super agent and he he talked about situations like this where someone would say well x player on the other team is making this your player is not better than that. He can't make more than this. And Falk would say, That's their situation. This is your situation. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to do. And, you know, I think a guy like Travis Green in Vancouver uh, is a guy who did that. Um, like, I think his number is significantly higher than what Brenda Moore got. But I, I think that's what you have to do. You have to say, That's his situation our situation is different i don't like when people tell other people like i don't like telling other people what to do so i don't like people telling me
1: what to do do you think though that this and the reported number is 1.8 million dollars do you think that this underpayment based on his market value will have any type of cascading effect on other coach signings and moreover have we seen the last of the huge deals for coaches, the Elaine Vignos, the Joel Quenvill's, the Mike Babcocks, the Claude Julians Have we seen the end of those deals?
0: I think we've seen some rollback. Like I said, like Green came in, from what I understand, uh, significantly over Brendan Moore's number. So the answer to me is it's not gonna be used as a cap ceiling if you're a good negotiator and have some leverage. Gerard Gallant has been reported as four years at about three and a half a year. So maybe it's not, you know, 20 million like you would have gotten a few years ago, but it's still a very good number. I, I think because of the situation that everybody's in, the league is in, we are seeing some dial back, yes, but, you know, you know things are going to return eventually and someone's going to have some big leverage at a certain point in time mm-hmm. where we're going to test all this. But I do think there's been... A pull back. And I do think a lot of teams are very curious about Dundon's whole thing in Carolina about this is what I think you're worth, and I'm not going past that. And one of his assistant coaches is going through that, Dean Shinaweth, and also Dougie Hamilton's going through that, where he says, if you feel you can do a better job for your market value, go ahead and do it. But we'll see. And I'm only going to a certain point.
1: Uh, one of the questions out of all of this now is what happens with the Seattle search right now? And Rick Tockett's name is well, right now front and center. Elliot,
0: I'm understanding he's got a third meeting with them set up. And you know, I never like to say anything's a guarantee, but just the fact it's a third meeting, you've got to think it's a good omen for him. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. I heard David Quinn had been interviewed by them. And someone told me that Quinn's interview was actually really good, but it sounds like, you know, anytime you go for a third time, you got to think if there's something reason for that, right? So we'll see where it goes. It it seems like talking at this point in time. And as as David brought up on air tonight, because Arizona, I think, is going, you know, Mike van Rijn or Todd Nelson or Lane Lambert, somebody in that realm. Buffalo, I don't know. You know, Buffalo had an interesting one where, you know, Capuano, Ottawa did not allow permission. And I know Don Granado and Kevin Adams met on Wednesday, and there's no announcement yet. So we'll see. But I don't see Buffalo, Arizona going the Babcock, Tortorella, Claude-Julian route. Mm-hmm. So what I think next year, Jeff, is when the season starts, if a team gets off to a slow start, There's going to be some serious juice in terms of what could be available for a team that begins poorly.
1: Be some expensive coaches um, sitting on the sidelines waiting to pounce. A couple of more things uh, as we try to keep our car cast tight and bright here.
0: I'm just putting my earbuds in. You guys got me okay here. Yeah, it is really hot. Hang on. You guys got me okay here. Hello. Hello. Okay, there we go. Okay.
1: Uh, what's happening between Anaheim and Buffalo with Jack Eichel?
0: Jeff, they're definitely talking. You know, I'm on record as saying I think Anaheim is going to try to do something big. You know, I reported this week that I've heard that. You know, teams are saying that Buffalo is potentially going to have a second pick in the top ten or high in the draft and Anaheim sitting there right at number three. You know, I do think there's teams out there, Jeff, who who do believe that Buffalo does not want Eichel in the Eastern Conference. You know, Anaheim last I checked on a map's not in the Eastern Conference.
1: Truth can confirm. <laughs>
0: I definitely think there's there's something going on there. I, I and you know the other thing too is you know, Anaheim wasn't willing to include Zegras or or Drysdale for for Dubois. I, I'm curious to see how this grinding goes for Eichel.
1: I was going to say, you're dealing, you know, this is Jack Eichel here. Yeah. Like this is, you know, get healthy and he's one of the best players in the National Hockey League. With all due respect to Pierre-Luc Dubois, he ain't Jack Eichel. right. And you're looking at you're looking at transitioning from the Ryan Getzlaff era into another huge centerman in Jack Eichel. I don't know. I love Jamie Drysdale. I really like Trevor Zegras. I also like a third overall pick. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about Jack Eichel here.
0: The other thing, too, is, by the way, I did have one team that told me that they think that there's a, a club out there that's trying to get one of the forwards and Ristolainen. But I don't know who it is.
1: And Ristolainen.
0: Yes. One of the teams is trying to get two of those guys.
1: How much do we just say that by the beginning of next season, Eichel, Ristalinen, and Reinhardt will all have different addresses?
0: I think it's likely. I think they want to start over, and those guys all need fresh starts.
1: Where's, um, where's some of the main interest from what you've been able to glean for, uh, for Sam Reinhardt?
0: Columbus. I've been told some of the teams that are in on Eichel might also be on Mm Reinhardt. So for example, say Eichel doesn't end up in Anaheim. It doesn't mean that Reinhardt couldn't end up there. Right. I've heard Columbus and and Reinhardt a lot, but I I think there's quite a few teams. I mean, I think this next couple of weeks is, is just going to be for rumors and stuff is going to be bananas. You know, to me, Philly, I am really curious to see what they're going to do there. They're like in the middle of everything.
1: What's the one thing that we talked about at the end of the year that they really needed to fix? Their ability to defend. Yeah, That's got to be front and center, no?
0: They're going to go after a goalie.
1: Like a backup to Carter Hart.
0: I'm wondering if they're thinking someone who's going to challenge Hart. Wow. Like a short-term veteran.
1: Yeah, my thinking there was always, you know, job number one this offseason is get Carter Hart back to where they thought Carter Hart was going to be this year. No, you have to do that too. Of all those teams you're talking about, like I, I think this is going to heat up pretty fast. Like there are big names that are already out there. We just talked about Eichel and Reinhardt, and we've talked about Dougie Hamilton already, et cetera. There's some players on the Boston Bruins. Uh, I'm sure we can uh, we can go over, but who are some of the more interesting teams for you to follow right now as far as chasing rumors and this team's going to be active getting into the draft? Who are a couple before we start to drill down on these in the next couple of weeks? Who catches your eye?
0: Okay. Well, Columbus. Yep. Obviously, Anaheim, Buffalo, Philly. Someone told me, uh, and I wrote it this week, I think Florida is going to try to be aggressive. I think Colorado is going to be really interesting because, you know, I wrote this week that the biggest question there is what's McCarr's number going to be? I had some people tell me this week they will do everything in their power to keep Landis Kog. Mm-hmm. that they feel they really need him. First of all, they feel that he's been so loyal to the team. He's everything you want your franchise standard bearer to be. And they feel an enormous amount of loyalty and respect to him because of that. And, you know, secondly, they feel he's critical. They feel he sets an attitude and the other thing too, is, you know, McKinnon is such an incredibly driven and competitive guy. Sometimes you need someone to say, okay, Nathan ease up a little bit today or, all right, you know, stop killing everybody in practice today. And, <laughs> and Landis Gog is kind of that guy. Yeah. So someone said to me that Colorado going to do something to make sure that they can keep him too. And plus they're disappointed they lost. So they might be very they are creative and I think they might be very interesting. I'll tell you this. I'm wondering about Edmonton too.
1: In more than just a Zach Hyman sense?
0: Yeah, I I think Edmonton's going to be interesting. Like We think they're re-signing Larson. I don't know about R&H. Like, everybody's locked down on that one, mm-hmm. and I think it's because they're really trying to get it done. But I think Edmonton looks at the way this season ended, mm-hmm. and I think they obviously believe in their top guys. I, I think they believe in some of their young guys who are coming. But then I think they say, you know, what else do we need? We have to take a hard look at what we need. And
1: I I think they're doing that. To me, the question in Edmonton still is, who's your goalie? Yeah. Last one for you. Get your thoughts on this one. The Jim Gregory GM of the Year Award.
0: I had a vote in this one.
1: Mark Bergevin, Lou Lamarillo, and Bill Zito. Three general managers who had three very distinct teams with yep. different objectives. My big question about the GM of the year award is, how do you evaluate it? What makes a good general Like, How do you evaluate a general manager's moves that season? Within like this 12-month frame, I, I just don't understand the criteria for like how you decide that Bergevin had a better season than Lamarillo who didn't have as good a season as Zito I just don't get the criteria like if you voted for like what went into it for you
0: I, I don't think I'm allowed to release my ballot yet so I'll just talk no about, no no I I'm just saying like,
1: say no. no 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 I i just, I'm, philosophic like what what are you looking at
0: I'm just saying that I would tell you who I voted for but I, I don't think I'm allowed to do that yet the one thing I kind of like about this award is that It's unique in the sense that it's the only one that's after two rounds. I kind of like that about it. It creates a bit of a crutch, which is okay. There's four GMs after two rounds, which three are are we voting for? The one thing I liked about it this year was that, you know, there was somebody in there who his team had a great regular season and you know, didn't make the final four, but still got in there. Like, I like that. I will tell you that I had six guys and I had to cut it down to three. And of those six, you know, Zito, and there was another GM on my list who aren't here right now, but I thought they had phenomenal regular seasons and turned around teams very quickly. And for me, it was simply when you look back at the last year who did a really good job with their teams? Like, so when I look at the finalists, I'll I'll just talk about them because the finalists were all in my big group of six for Zito. He took a team that ended last year terribly, Mm -hmm. made a bunch of budget signings really, and that improved the team and the overall team, it got better. There were some rocky moments, no question about it, but You know, he made a bunch of small moves from Verhage to Duclair to, you know, other things that they did, not trading Uyghur, who I thought had a fantastic season. Sure did. And I liked his body of work. He breathed new life into Florida. You know, Lamorello, I just think, again, the Islanders, I look at where they are. They're greater than the sum of their parts. This year, they lost their captain, and he hit a home run at the deadline. Yes, I just think that he's he's built with Barry Trotz there, like a team that's consistent. And I thought the fact that they lost Lee and they still did well at the deadline and they're here. And Palmieri and Zajac have both been good players for them. I I thought that was very legitimate. Bergevin, I will admit that was one of the biggest challenges for me. He was on my list of six, you know. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it's probably longer now. I don't even know what date it is anymore. They were 24 hours from running him out of town. Correct. It was a big challenge for me. And, you know, it just shows you how slim the margin is, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I have a friend who's a gambler. He says, when you pull a victory out of a sure defeat, he calls it pulling an inside straight and five card stud. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be able to do that. And this year, if you look at Bergevin, they were in trouble and his moves came up pulling that inside straight. And he looks really smart.
1: See, one of the things that I fight with um, philosophically here about voting on this one, like if I had a vote, I don't know that I would know how to vote appropriately because I'm still fighting the question of, is it more impressive to build something or sustain it? You know, like, Bergevin and Zito built something, okay? Especially Zito. Like, he rebuilt that team.
0: The other thing, too, I'll say about Bergevin, sorry, Jeff, is that he stayed with his convictions, right?
1: In what sense?
0: He had a plan. He went with his plan. It didn't look like it was going to work. Oh, yeah, yeah. A good chunk of his fan base hated it. Yeah. And he said, whatever, I'm doing it. If I'm going down, I'm going down in flames this
1: way. Yeah just the, the 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 whole nature of this award too it's like so much of of what a general manager has is a lot of times built by someone else yeah built by your predecessor. I mean listen um, you know Brian Burke will always talk about the moves that Brian Murray made um, that helped the Anaheim Ducks win the Stanley Cup in 2007. you know Chicago Blackhawks won in 2010 Stan Bowman is a general manager, but everyone's looking at Dale Talent and I believe I don't know who did it. But one GM voted for Dale Talon as general manager of the year in 2010, even though he wasn't a general manager at the end of that season. I just don't know how it would vote because I don't know what's more impressive. Taking, and maybe it's the same thing about the coach of the year as well. What's more impressive, sustaining an excellent team or taking a bad team and making it good? I don't know the answer.
0: I think sustaining is harder. I do.
1: Then lamarillo has got to be the choice of those three.
0: The other three guys I had on my list this year that I considered, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying what my my ballot was, but the other three guys I considered were Julian Brisebois, Bill Guerin, and Kelly McCrimmon.
1: All excellent. I'll tell you what, you know what, right out of the gate, and maybe it's just like the, you know, he's the, the new sexy in general managers. I loved what Bill Guerin did this year.
0: I think it took a lot to do what he did, and he had to make some unpopular decisions. It's like what we just said about Bergevin, the courage of his convictions.
1: And he's still going to make more. And he's still going to do more. Like, so far, Garen's been really impressive. Okay, that's the car cast. You are now free to enter your house, Elliot. Um, And taking us out, uh, the Canadian music duo Bros, Ewan and Seamus Curry, spend most of their time making music with the Platinum-selling Sheepdogs. But the last five years, they've also been making groovy tracks as Bros. From their upcoming album, due out July 16th, here's Bros with Never Gonna Stop on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Baby, do you
0: see these tears in my eyes? It's a feeling deep inside, I just cannot hide.